have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. Several months ago, if memory serves me correctly, I was uh, riding down the road speaking with a friend of mine, a minister friend of mine. And in what was born in a simple conversation, the Lord planted a thought in my heart through that conversation and uh, I, I pulled over as soon as I could and just made a few notes and I, I set them aside. And in all honesty, various times from that time until today, I have revisited that and if you're a minister in this house, you can probably understand what I'm about to say, but it just didn't feel right. The timing of that didn't feel right. However, Friday afternoon, I just felt the Lord direct me back to that path and I began to study and a little bit more of this and I just feel like the Lord has a word for us today. And so with that, would you help me this morning preach and uh, let the Spirit of God speak something into our spirit. The book of Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shidom two men to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came in, into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. The title of my message today may not make sense right now, but if the Lord will help me and you'll stay with us, perhaps it'll make a little more sense as we move along. But I want to title my message today, A Cord for a Line. A Cord for for a line. Amen. God, I love you today, and I'm asking you to just touch all of us and let the Spirit, Lord, of your power and anointing touch me and touch my heart and my mind today. Touch our congregation. Help us that we would hear a word from you, oh God, a fresh word that will apply to our hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated and thank you for your worship this morning. It has created such a warm and refreshing atmosphere. Joshua chapter 2 opens with the timeless story of Rahab. And as with all Bible characters, the, the Bible makes no um, uh, extension or expels no energy to hide the flaws of its characters and so we sort of know them for who they are or what they are many of them are known for what they are by their name and uh, so we know uh, that Jacob was that surplanter and and on and on the the list goes but in other places where it's not quite it's not quite so shrouded or uh, like it is in the case of Rahab the Bible just, as we most often know her, we know her as Rahab the harlot. I mean, what an incredible title to have to live your life. What a, a shameful shadow to have to stand in. Nevertheless, it's so obvious, or it should seem obvious, that decisions that she made along the way certainly would lend to her being known as that. But despite her unquestionable past, we also know, if we know the story of Rahab's entire life, we know that she was a woman mightily used of God 
and even find her in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She was the, she was the first to spare the lives of the two spies that Joshua sent into Jericho. And I, I believe it's very obvious, or should be at least, that her display of courage, um, through her display of courage and by her faith, she led the children of Israel just one step closer to being able to, per, being able to possess the promise that God had given them so many years before. In the end, however, she wouldn't just save the children of Israel's life and she wouldn't just preserve that remnant of a nation, but she would also save her entire family. Verses 4, 5, and 6 talks about her hiding these two spies that were sent into Jericho. Verse number 6 specifically talks about how she took them to the rooftop and how she hid them beneath the stalks of flax. In verse number 9, we see her confessing to these spies that she had great knowledge of their God. And so when you begin to read these scriptures in detail, we understand that she wasn't making this up. This was not a glorified bluff. She really knew about Jehovah. Amen. She knew about the mighty things that, that he had done for his people. Hebrews 11 and 31 and also James 2 and 25 indicate that Rahab had put her faith in Jehovah God before these spies even arrived, before they made their way to her house, God was one more time, he was already working on the other end. And one writer likened, one writer likened Rahab to those like Paul spoke of in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9. Paul said that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so before these spies ever made their way to her home, God was already at work. He was doing something in her life. Before they were ever formally introduced, it seems as though she was already turning her attention at least to the Lord. I, I think it's entirely possible she didn't have her life altogether. Amen. If you know anything about her, we know she didn't have everything together, but there was something turning in her heart and in her life. Now, Jericho was one of the many cities in Canaan, and archaeological evidence shows that Jericho was a, a, a double-walled city, a massively fortified city. And according to Joshua 2 and 15, the Bible talks about Rahab's house being on this wall or in this wall. And so if we think about Jericho in the mind of a warrior, Jericho was a strategic city in the plan of Joshua. Amen. If he's going to conquer Canaan, then he is certainly going to have to deal with Jericho. So after Joshua inhabits Jericho, then he can divide the land, which will make it easier for them to conquer. This would be a lot easier to defeat the remaining cities. Forty years before, we know from the biblical history that Moses had sent 12 spies into Canaan. According to Numbers 13, of those 12, there were only two men that came back and had a positive report 
against all odds. They kept saying, we can do this, and God is on our side. This time, Joshua only sent two men in to spy out the land. Maybe he learned something from the mistakes of the past. I don't know. But Joshua wanted to know something more about the people of Jericho. He wanted a pulse, if you please. He wanted to be able to put his finger on the pulse of what was going on because certainly word was out that their Lord was coming and the children of Israel was coming with them, with him. Amen. Since Joshua knew that God had already given him the land and he knew that God had already given him the people, I don't believe that his act of sending spies was lack of faith on his part. I believe like any good leader, you would want to know everything you can know about your enemy. If you're going to go into battle, any good leader is going to figure out what the enemy has to offer. I mean, there were, I believe, several miraculous things that were taking place in the story here in this particular chapter. First, we would see that these two spies that were sent into Jericho, they were not recognized as strangers. They were not recognized as an enemy. Somehow, God just shielded them and shrouded them from the possibility of being exposed for who and what they were. Secondly, if we think about all the people that would have lived in Jericho, and yet here was this divine order and unction of God that allowed these two men's life to cross with the one lady, with the one person. Amen. This was not arbitrary. This, this was not just the wind blowing things where it would. But God had directed the steps of these men. They met Rahab, a woman not only that knew about their God, but a woman that was really willing to risk her life in order to spare these. And so we watch this drama as it unfolds. And in doing so, we can certainly see the providential hand of God. Rahab was the only person apparently in Jericho that trusted in the God of Israel. And because of that, the Lord said, I'm going to put you in the right place at the right time. You're going to meet who you need to meet. And you're going to meet her when you need to meet her. I realize that it's been said over and over through the years, but I just can't get over God's grace. It is just remarkable how God can take someone that we would think could never do this or we could never think would do that, and yet God plucks them from among the ashes and said, I'm going to take them and I'm going to use them for my glory. Amen. Brother Everett Bird this morning talked about his own self. I'm not here to join that bandwagon, but he talked about his, himself as being an unlikely person to stand before people or to stand in a prison. But I will tell you that you can never discount. I want to reiterate what he said, who is sitting among us today. We don't know, amen, the power and the value of what may be in the life and bound up in the life of a child in this house today or a young person or a person in middle age. I'm telling you that God doesn't just choose the young. Amen. He chooses us at any point if we'll yield ourselves to Him. Amen. It's remarkable how God works. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28, Paul says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And then he went on to say that God has chosen the weak things of the world 
to confound things which are mighty. And he says that God has chosen weak things of the world and things that are despised. That's what God has chosen. And then Paul concluded this by saying that God can choose things which are not and bring to naught things, amen, that are. That's how God can work. Sometimes God just does the absolute opposite of what we think he's going to do. Amen. I'm thankful to be serving that kind of God, aren't you? Amen. We certainly see the fulfillment of Paul's writings in the life of Rahab. She took her own life into her hands when she welcomed, not just welcomed, but when she hid these spies. Because had the king discovered these men, and had he even afterward discovered her deception, I can promise you that she would have been slain as a traitor. That was the law of the land. Live by the sword, die by the sword. In verses 9, 10, and 11, Rahab begins to share with these men about her knowledge of God. And this is what I meant a moment ago. Rahab wasn't just bluffing. She knew about the things that God had done for Israel in their past. All throughout, she said things like, I know that the Lord hath given thee the land and that, and that all the inhabitants of the land are going to faint because of you. This is what I know. Now, now Joshua's spies, they're looking at this fortified city. They're seeing the task before them. An, an unsurmountable mountain, if you please. But she said, I already know that God has given you the land and the inhabitants of this land. I just want you to know, no matter how loud they roar, no matter how deep they growl, she said, their, hang, their hearts faint because of you. She went on to say, reaching on further back into their history, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites whom you utterly destroyed. And we have heard these things. And when we heard these things, she said, our hearts didn't melt. Neither dared there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Amen. They didn't feel too heroic perhaps, but she was reminding them that God is on your side. God is using the most unlikely person, the most unlikely voice to preach a message of courage into these two spies. In verses 12 and 13, she now begins a very brilliant plan of negotiation. Amen. She said in verse number 12, Swear unto me, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. And then the Bible says that she asked for something very specific. She says, give me a true token that you will save alive my family and deliver our lives from death. Hallelujah. You got to admire. Amen. You got to admire this woman. She said, I know what God is up to. I know how God is going to give you this city and he's going to give you the inhabitants of this land. We know that death is surely ours, but because of what I know, I need you because I have showed you kindness. I want you to show me kindness. I don't want you to wink at me. I don't want you to just nod at me. I don't want you to just declare 
with, through some, some, uh, some nonverbal sign that everything is going to be alright. She said, I want you to give me a true token. I want you to give me something that I can hold on to that you're going to save a life. My family and you're going to deliver our lives from death. Amen. Rahab's, I believe Rahab's experience was kin to that of Noah. She knew about the Lord and she feared for herself and her family when she heard the great wonders that he had performed. She received the spies and then she began to plead for her salvation. This is what Noah was doing when he was building the ark. He feared the Lord. He understood the word that came to him. I've never heard of rain, never heard of an ark, but Lord, if that's what you want, then I'm going to move with fear to the saving of my own family, the saving of my own house. I will assure you that's what Rahab is doing today. She is moving in this moment in fear because she understands the power of God. In verse number 14, these men respond to her request. And they said, here is our guarantee that, that, uh, that we will do what we're saying. If you utter not this business when the Lord has given us the land, then we will deal truly or kindly and we will deal truly with thee. And then in verse number 15, we read something that's important. And this is where my, my title is going to come into play here today. In verse number 15, the Bible says that in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, when she let, then she let them down. They were in her house on the wall. And then the Bible says, she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon that wall. Over the next few verses, we see that she is making this promise sure and they are making this promise sure. They are nailing down the details of this and then when we get to verse number 18, we find a very crucial part of this story. Joshua 2 and 18. Behold, these are the spies talking back now to her. Amen. These are the spies that are saying to her, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou did let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And so I'm just going to ask you to remember those two words for just a moment. In one verse mentions, she said that they were let down. The Bible says that she let them down by a cord. And then the next verse, or verse 18, the next reference to this line, amen, the Bible calls it a line. A line. If you will take this line, this line, and keep it here. Now, it seems like, as we begin to read this chronologically in our Bible anyway, it just seems as though in Scripture that the storyline from this point here begins to shift. It's almost as though the camera is on stage one and now the camera just pans over to something completely different. I mean, it's almost as though we could forget everything that has happened up to this moment. We have this incredible encounter of two spies and an unlikely lady and her family. Now they're negotiating, making all these deals. They settle the deal. The camera shifts. Amen. And we get to the opening verse of chapter 3. And it's where God miraculously takes the children of Israel over the swelling 
waters of Jordan's river. It's a fascinating story of deliverance. It has been taught on. It has been preached on. It has been broken down, divided, chewed up, and spit out in every direction you can imagine. It is truly a fascinating story of deliverance. Like Moses of old, Joshua himself would lead one more time God's people over a body of water. Although it was a little bit different, the end result was the same. They would walk across on dry ground. When we get to chapter 4, in these verses, God commands that they go back into Jordan's river before the water comes out, comes back together and take 12 stones. And then on the victory side of this, he said, I want you to build a monument. I want you to build a memorial. And this memorial is not going to be for you. You'll never forget this moment, but this memorial will be for generations to come. When they ask, what meaneth these stones? Don't dare hesitate to tell them about God leading this generation out. This monument would be there for the elders. This monument would be there for another generation to share about God's power and His deliverance. And then we come to chapter 5. And the children of Israel have crossed over Jordan's river. And now they occupy a city called Gilgal. Gilgal would prove to be a very significant stop on their way out of Egypt and into Canaan. Gilgal would be a very crucial and a significant stop because here God commanded Joshua to have all the males that came out of the wilderness circumcised because all the previous generation had already made this covenant, but they died in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. But there was another generation that was born. And so the Lord said, before we can take the promise that all of these males have got to make this same covenant. Amen. I know that seems almost barbaric in our mind here today. Amen. But Gilgal was not just going to be a place of pain, but Gilgal was going to be a place, proved to be a place of healing. Because the Lord said, this is what needs to be done, but Gilgal is also going to be a place where you stay until you are healed. Verse number 8 talks about Gilgal, and it says, you stay here until you are made whole. Amen. Now that's a powerful word in Scripture. Amen. Verse number 9 says that what's going to happen in Gilgal is we're going to roll away the reproach of Egypt from all of you. This is a powerful moment in Scripture, an incredible moment in their journey. Amen. From this point, what he was saying, from this point forward, it's going to be the beginning of a new day. It's going to be a clean slate, and we're going to walk forward by faith in the in the eyes of the Lord. In the closing verses of this same chapter, chapter 5, it contains the story of Joshua. Amen. As he met what the scripture refers to as the captain of the Lord of hosts. Are you here in peace? Is everything all right? Amen. It's here that Joshua had a similar experience again that Moses had as Moses stood before the burning bush because he too, standing before the captain of the, of the Lord's host, he said unto him, he said, you need to loosen your shoes because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Praise God. Chapter 6 opens with the promises of God to Joshua, that he indeed is going to give you this city or him this city. And then God gives Joshua these divine commandments, 
This is the instructions of how you're going to win this battle. He said he was to take the men of war and you're not going to, you're going to compass this city. This doesn't seem like a battle strategy or battle plan. Doesn't seem like a strategy for really going in blood and guts. No. He said, I want you to take the men of war and I want you to compass the city once a day for six days. Don't say anything. Just march around one time a day for six days. But on the seventh day, you are to compass the city seven times. And then the Bible says, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. Amen. I'm telling you today, it was a mighty moment, a powerful moment of instruction. And so Joshua receives these instructions from the Lord. And then in the following verses, he begins now to convey these instructions with the children of Israel. Here's what the Lord said. This is how we're going to win this battle. I'm not sure how these fighting men felt. I'm not sure how these warring men felt about marching in silence. But Joshua said, this is what we're going to do because this is what the Lord said. It would almost seem as though almost like right now, that the entire story of Rahab and her family have just gotten lost in the mix. Remember about an hour ago when I was talking about Rahab. Amen. It just seemed like they almost get lost in the mix. However, in verse number 17, Rahab and her family are all of a sudden, the camera comes back and they are pressed back into the center of this story. Joshua 6 and 17, the Bible says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all therein to the Lord. And then only, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And so as though Rahab and the promises, her family and the hope had all got mixed in the fodder of everything that was going on, God had not forgotten that single moment in time. It doesn't matter what else the Mara may hold. It matters not what the, the next days or the next weeks may hold. But God had made a promise. I think it's very important to note that the Bible remains silent on everything that happened in the house of Rahab between the time she appealed to these spies Amen. And those spies agreed. We may want to picture her as those spies left. We may want to picture her with a little fear, or with a little anxiety, wondering whether or not these men would keep their promises. After all, they were the enemy. After all, she had never met them until just a few moments ago. How do I know? How do I know that I can trust them? I want to tell you today, and this is not an informative statement, if you've walked many miles with God, but I'll tell you that seasons of silence can take its toll on our faith. Can I say that again? Amen. There are times that God makes a promise, and that promise is so vivid, and that promise is so real, 
real when it comes to us. I'm not telling you that God is messing with us or God's toying with our emotions, but hear me this morning. Amen. There are, there are seasons of silence that can often follow the promises of God. And hear me this day. Amen. Seasons of silence can take their toll on our faith. I think it's fair to presume that in this building, amen, right here, we have found ourselves exactly where Rahab was sitting and where she was living her life. Oh, what a great promise. What a great moment. These two spies find her out of everyone. They come to her house above every house that they could have gone to. And they make her a promise of many. They, they could have made that promise too. I just want to mention a moment about living life somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment. Living life somewhere between that time God or that moment God uttered something into your spirit. And the moment that it really becomes a reality. There is a season often that that we live between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. Yet, amen, God made that promise. I want to just say today that what I feel in my spirit to share, I don't know how your promise came to you. I know how my promises have come to me. I don't know how yours were delivered to you. Maybe your promise came by way of prayer. Maybe while you were in prayer, you felt that divine moment that God spoke something to your spirit. Maybe that promise came into your life by way of prophecy but no matter what the backdrop may have been can I just tell you that in our flesh that promise when it came was then but the problem is we're living in the now would somebody be courageous enough to say amen I know that makes us sound carnal and it makes us sound as though our faith is ebbing just a little bit low but that's not the case at all we are Walking around in feet of clay. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And that was then and this is now. You, like Rahab, could be living just a few days, a few months, or even a few years past the time or the season that that promise first came. And it's in that moment we can ask ourselves, God, where are you? Those seasons when heaven seems like brass. And our prayers just kind of bounce back down. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. And it's in that season we could ask ourselves several questions. What, what was it that kept Rahab's faith secure? And what was it that kept her feet from slipping? We can read about slipping feet in Psalm 73, my feet well nigh slipped. <laughs> I almost gave up. I almost threw in the towel. What, what kept her from slipping in that season? I believe the answer to these questions are gently tucked away back in chapter 2. And so I want to turn our attention back somewhat where we started a moment ago. Joshua 2 and 15. The Bible says... That she let them down by a cord through the window. And then when we skip down to verse number 18. She is saying, I just need a promise. I need a token. I need something that reminds me and assures me that everything is going to be alright. 
Please don't leave without giving me something tangible that I can hold on to, something that will keep my faith intact. The Bible says in, in verse number 18 that those spies said to her, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line, not a cord. Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou did let us down by. I think it's imperative that we catch this. Amen. Not just read through it so fast that we miss the exchange of what's really happening here. She said, they said to her, this same cord or this same line, amen, that she saved the spies with. They said, if you want a token, then here it is. Amen. The same cord that she let them down by became a line of promise for her. Amen. What God did in that moment was miraculous in this simple exchange, and it is so easy to miss. In Joshua 2.15, the Bible says this that she let them down by a cord, and the word cord means ruin or destruction pain, snare, or sorrow, and the list perhaps could go on. When she let them down, it was a time of uncertainty. The only hope she ever knew of her family maybe surviving the onslaught of Jehovah was now sliding down the wall. She didn't realize and didn't know for sure if everything was going to work out all right. She knows all they said. She knows all the arrangements they were making but she let them down by a cord of ruin. She let them down by a cord of destruction. She lowered them with a cord of pain, a cord of snare, a cord of sorrow. But Joshua 2 and 18, the word line means expectation or hope or things hoped for. Amen. They said we need, she said we need a sign. We need a token. We need something that we can hold on to. They said, well, if you want something you can hold on to, then you just pull this line back up you may have led us down through destruction and pain and sorrow amen but in exchange the Lord said but here is your token you pull this cord back up and you leave this cord hanging in your window I'm not so sure that cord amen was to remind these spies of where she lived or if that cord was to remind her during that season of silence during that season when nothing was happening during that season when there was no hope, during that season when all the chatter of the city streets where the children of Israel are coming and they're going to take the land, hallelujah, when she thought all hope was gone, she would remember the token. They said, just pull the same line that you saved us with and you hang that in your window. It's going to be hope. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, across this building. Amen. You know why? It's not because we're supernatural. We're not standing today because we, we're, we're beyond anything that's human. Amen. We're standing today because God amen has given, amen God has given us a cord amen for a line. He said I'll give this back to you. Amen. I'll, I'll give you this cord back. I'll give you back your destruction. I'll give you back your hopelessness. I'll give you back your fear. I'll give you back anxiety and in its place I will give you hope. Amen, hope. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The human body can live so many days without food. And the human body can live so many days without water. 
But I'm going to tell you what humanity can't live with, live without, and that's hope. Hope. I'm so thankful for the tokens of hope that God has given me and He's given you through the years. Amen. Every silent day that passed between that moment those spies left her house and returning was supported by the hope she found hanging in her window. It may not have looked like much to those passing by, <laughs> but to those that had received the promise, to those that had received the promise, take this same cord back. Amen. I don't know, my little feeble mind, I try to stand sometimes in the sandals or those biblical characters were perhaps standing in. Maybe she had already let them down whenever they were exchanging these words from an upper floor to a lower floor. Just pull it back. It don't seem like much, but when you pull it back, it's not going to be despair. When you pull it back, it's not going to be destruction. When you pull it back, it's not going to be ruin. When you pull this scarlet thread back, it's going to mean hope, 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 hope. Amen. And so today, we may wonder what happened. We'll go to chapter 6, verse 22 and 3. It's a fulfillment. Joshua says, it's all coming down. It's all going to be ruined. Except Rahab the harlot. You're going to spare her house and anything that's there. Amen. So whatever God has promised you, I'm asking you today, keep your eyes fixed to that scarlet thread, that scarlet line of hope. And so if it's a scripture that the Lord gave you, read it often. If a promise that the Lord has given you is by any chance linked to the lyric of a song, sing it as often as you can and as loud as you can. If God made you a promise, write it down. Write it down and read it as often as you can. I'm not asking you to do something I don't do myself. Amen. I read my promise, one of my promises this morning, this very day. Not in preparation for the sermon, by the way. But I read it this morning. And I try to make a point to read it out loud. Because I don't want to just hear it. I want the atmosphere to feel it and to hear it. Amen. God can take the cords of life and give us a line of hope. This morning, if the Spirit of God has ministered to your life in any way, I wonder if we could just respond somehow to His Spirit. Amen. Respond to His presence. Amen. Let the Spirit of the Lord know. I'm going to keep that line of hope hanging in the window. I'm going to keep it in a conspicuous place. And when doubt tries to assail, when doubt tries to move in, I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to look over there at that line that's called hope. Amen. God will give us back a cord. Amen. But it'll become a line. God will give us a line. Can we magnify Him across this house as we...